It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast. For almost two weeks, Pennsylvania residents lived in fear as authorities worked tirelessly to track down escaped convict Danilo Cavalcante. The 34-year-old had escaped from Chester County Prison on August 31st by crab walking between two walls, pushing through razor wire and climbing to the roof where he ultimately fled. Cavalcante had been convicted of brutally stabbing his girlfriend 38 times killing her in front of her children in 2021 and is allegedly in the United States illegally. He's additionally wanted in Brazil for the 2017 killing of a man there. Cavalcante hid from law enforcement and at one point even armed himself with a 22 caliber rifle he stole from a nearby home. Finally, authorities closed in on Cavalcante and on Wednesday, September 13th, he was apprehended by elite members of the Pennsylvania State Police and the Border Patrol Tactical Unit. Fox News national correspondent Nate Foy provided detailed coverage of the dangerous manhunt for Cavalcante from Pennsylvania during the past two weeks. Today, he joins me to provide an in-depth look back at this horrifying case. Nate Foy, you were boots on ground for the 14-day manhunt as America watched, gripped, in the throes of um, a killer who had escaped. And you were there, you witnessed the entire thing unfold. Tell us about the explosive capture and the final rest to the fear that Americans held for so long. Well, the community was obviously flipped upside down and everyone was so worried because the day before his capture, Danilo Cavalcante uh, obtained a rifle by going into an open garage that was within the search perimeter. And it was about eight o'clock when I got a text from my state police source who said that they had captured him. And it was the Border Patrol tactical unit. So the BORTAC agents uh, combined with Pennsylvania State Police that were able to finally get the job done on day 14 of the manhunt. And how they did it was was remarkable. So there was a home alarm that went off within the search perimeter at about midnight. And then an hour after that, they picked up on a heat signal with thermal imaging but Cavalcante caught a break and some bad weather pushed in. So they had to pull out the aviation units. And then that's when our sources tell us that the BORTAC agents held what's called a lay-in. And what that pretty much means is that they embraced the elements and they surrounded Cavalcante with the location that they picked up using that heat signal. And they just laid down on the ground and waited all night through a lightning storm getting poured on. And then when the weather cleared up in the morning, they brought back in the aviation units and the the teams on the ground made their push to capture Cavalcante. And they did that once they started hearing some movement, uh, which was just before eight o'clock. And they sent in the Border Patrol canine because, as I mentioned, Cavalcante had that rifle and they thought the tactical teams were sure that he was going to use that rifle. This is a man who has been convicted of murder and accused of murder in Brazil. And he didn't fire a shot. The Border Patrol canine came in, 
bit him in the head, which is, if you've seen the pictures, some blood on Cavalcante's face that was from the canine holding him down while the ground crews came in behind. And they were able to take him into custody without a single shot being fired. So it was the best case scenario for how this could have ended. Once he got that weapon, people thought that he was likely going to die. And and there was a lot of concern that some law enforcement officer would be hurt in the process. But the fact that they were able to bring him into custody without a single shot being fired is is remarkably impressive. What a phenomenal story. Tell us about during the 14 days, how law enforcement was triangulating and closing in on him, because it seemed like it was a really symbiotic relationship between the community, to your point, ring cameras and and people's personal footage, as well as obviously an extraordinary effort by law enforcement utilizing all of these air and land assets for them. So can you sort of detail how the 14 days unfolded before that explosive and successful ending? So, yeah, I would say during the 14 days, the amount of federal resources increased. And just a a few days before the capture, there was no defined search perimeter because Cavalcante had breached two previous search perimeters. And that was probably the low point. There was, I think, two days before the capture, Lieutenant Colonel George Bivens with Pennsylvania State Police held a, a news conference. And minus the question and answer portion, which was extensive, the actual news portion of it, you know, his prepared statement, it was the shortest one that we had heard to that point. And pretty much he he increased the reward money for information leading to Cavalcante's arrest. And he warned people against helping Cavalcante. And those were the only updates. So that was probably the low point. Uh, I want to say that was on Monday, which was right before Cavalcante stole the rifle um from the homeowner's garage which obviously was bad because now this guy who's murdered two people now has a weapon but it was good because authorities were able to get a new search perimeter they knew where he was at that point um but another thing that was announced on that monday was more federal resources coming in and we know that border patrol was involved it's unclear exactly when the bortac teams the tactical unit got there and, and the tactical unit really was was instrumental in in getting this case uh, or getting the manhunt over. But there were over 500 law enforcement officers. Pennsylvania State Police was taking the lead on this. And it was difficult because the first search perimeter was relatively small and it was close to the prison that Cavalcante escaped from. Then a trail camera at this botanical garden in Chester County called Longwood Gardens picture or he was caught on a trail camera south of that original search perimeter. So then authorities made the perimeter bigger and they moved it south. And then it was Friday of last week when I was told by my source in Pennsylvania State Police that troopers were closing in on him. They had shrunk the search perimeter to under one square mile. That was the moment that everyone in the community was was very hopeful that this thing was going to be over. And then Cavalcante was able to breach that perimeter. Someone at a nearby dairy farm left the keys in a van. He stole that van, drove it over 20 miles north to where he eventually got captured. And when he ditched the van there, there were a ton of questions. Did he get help from someone else? Um, did he run away? And if he ran away, that meant that he would be somewhat nearby. It turned out that that was the case. And then those resources that you mentioned from ground crews, animals, there were dogs and horses. You had the FBI involved. Obviously, Border Patrol, like I mentioned, was instrumental. Uh, The ATF also involved U.S. Marshals from the very beginning. 
um, and then state and local authorities as well. So it was a team effort. And the urgency only increased with every single day that he was out there. And then when he got that rifle, the the mood within the community completely changed because knowing that this man had breached two previous search perimeters, people were just waiting for him to breach this third one and this time with a weapon. So people felt like it was a much more dangerous situation, not only for law enforcement officers, but also for the community. Right. I sort of heard it described as, you know, he encountered a series of lucky breaks in a way. And then till that end, till the last night when his luck clearly ran out. Nate, what did you make of the fact that his his geography, his pattern of escape led him away from the prison and then back past it? Do you feel that was purposeful or do you feel that was random as he was simply trying to evade capture? It's tough to know exactly, but I think he was just trying to survive and to get away from authorities. However, uh, he knew how. And um, there's been some reporting that that he stumbled upon some watermelons and he was he was living on watermelons, um, you know, for this whole time. And I think that he he definitely you mentioned the lucky breaks. It, it starts with escaping from Chester County Prison and the tower officer isn't paying attention Tower officer has been fired because of that, but that helps Cavalcante get away. This all happens on Labor Day weekend. He breaks into homes. A lot of people are away on Labor Day weekend. That's another break. I mentioned earlier the the keys left in the van. Another break. So he, the bad weather rolling in, which possibly you know delayed his his capture. He he had so many breaks, um, and. and People didn't really know throughout the manhunt how much of this is luck, how much of this is skill. Troopers said that they don't think skill played as big of a role as as some people possibly thought. But I think that he was just surviving. He, he wasn't moving much during the day. I think when he got that van, that was his his opportunity to possibly get away. And he tried contacting two acquaintances and clearly miscalculated how close he was to those people because they reported him to police. And that was how police found out that he breached the second search perimeter. So if not for that, maybe we wouldn't you know, be doing this interview and, and talking about his capture. But he had said that he was planning to go to either Puerto Rico or Canada within a day of his capture. He, he was planning on using that rifle to carjack somebody. And that's obviously not a good plan. You, you know, you can't just, well, I, I guess theoretically you could, but your chances of, of successfully carjacking your way through the United States to get to the border is, is not a very good plan. I think this was a man who just uh, was was doing what he could to survive day to day and his ability to endure difficult conditions. And this is a five foot tall, 120 pound guy prior to spending two weeks in the woods. I think that it takes very little to sustain him. He was able to eat very little and drink very little and 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 be able to keep pushing forward. So I think it was a, a combination of factors that led to him being on the run as long as he was. Um, but I, I don't think that he had some master plan. And when he didn't get help from the two people that he was hoping to get help from, I think any real chance he had of evading authorities for much longer slipped away. Contrast that with his sister, who reports have indicated that she refused to cooperate with authorities and has been arrested. What do we know about that element? So, yeah, she's 
in the process of being deported. Um, and she was one of the people that authorities said was intent on helping Cavalcante. They didn't exactly specify how, but uh, we do know that she wasn't cooperating with the investigation and she was an overstay. So th that was the moment that, that she was arrested by ICE agents and, and, you know, was going through the deportation process. And then she also coordinated the message from Cavalcante's mother that was being broadcasted from helicopters throughout the search where Cavalcante's mother was trying to convince him to peacefully surrender. Um, so, you know, the mother ha had talked to the New York Times about Cavalcante's poor upbringing in Brazil and how that prepared him for the conditions that he faced. But um, we know that the mother is in Brazil and, and the sister is being deported and Cavalcante is now going to state prison in uh, in Pennsylvania. We're going to take a quick break. More from our guest after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And what do we know about K-9 Yoda, who was the ultimate asset that captured Cavalcante and part of the strength of canines and is frankly they're the fact that they never fail. They they are yeah. these unwavering assets to law enforcement. And of course it was again the extraordinary efforts of, of everyone involved and all the assets. But at the end of the day, it's a canine that actually apprehended him. What do we know about canine Yoda? So Yoda was the first one in uh, after that lay-in that I had mentioned. And and the Border Patrol Tactical Unit is, is just an elite group that uh, is able to handle these these really difficult situations, including manhunts, uh, specifically in, in tough terrain. And that was something that, you know, if there's manhunts going on in a city or, you know, a more populated area where you have cameras and everything, you, you have more resources. But for multiple periods of this manhunt, this guy was just laying under brush in, you know, really thick terrain. And he has talked about since being arrested that, that law enforcement was within about 10 yards of him and and they didn't know it because he had covered himself in the brush. And prior to that, he was in, you know, the, the botanical gardens and Longwood Gardens. So, um Obviously, the, the Border Patrol teams, specifically the tactical unit, they are used to difficult terrain in operating down uh, at the the southern border. But this was a, a national BORTAC team. There's BORTAC teams that are assigned to each specific sector. And this was the national team from El Paso. And they're just really, really good at what they do. And, and specifically with, with the canine aspect of it, they had thought going into this that Cavalcante was going to use that rifle. And that's what made Yoda's job all the more dangerous because Yoda was was the first, you know, asset to encounter Cavalcante. And thankfully, Cavalcante didn't use the rifle on Yoda. Um, Yoda grabbed onto him and, you know, bit his head, which I mentioned before was what led to some of the, the bleeding we saw in the pictures on Cavalcante's face. But he, he did put up a fight. He didn't immediately surrender. He was trying to crawl away with his rifle. And um, it, it, it wasn't something where he, he completely gave himself up, but he didn't use the rifle on Yoda. 
but Yoda was was the first asset through and and it was a very dangerous job and and it, it was unbelievable how the border patrol tactical unit was able to bring this manhunt to a close without anybody being seriously injured Nate Foy, thank you so much for your reporting, the incredible boots on ground perspective you gave us throughout this terrifying ordeal that ended up being successful and to that point without any injury to law enforcement or the public. Is there any final message or thoughts that you want to leave listeners with today? I guess just, you know, the appreciation for the law enforcement, it, it was a really difficult situation and, and there w- were frustrations in the community, but uh, overwhelmingly, everyone was was so grateful for the law enforcement. Uh, Pennsylvania State Troopers were, from my perspective, being in the media, they were pretty transparent. Um, they they kept us updated throughout the entire manhunt, which is so crucial because everyone in the community was at da- in danger during this, and um, it, it was a, a really tough situation with frustrations along the way, specifically when he breached two search perimeters, but. Uh, I'm just grateful to our law enforcement that they were able to get this job done within two weeks. And like I said before, to do it without any civilians or law enforcement officers getting hurt or or killed, that that's most important. And they were able to successfully do that. Thank you, Nate, for your excellent coverage of this case and for joining us today. Now, to hear more about manhunts, be sure to listen to the episode Finding a Fugitive, the Texas Killer, and my interview with former commander of the U.S. Marshals Fugitive Task Force, Lenny DePaul. To hear more stories like this, you can listen to our past episodes on the Fox True Crime Podcast. Go to foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts to listen and subscribe. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. If you have a story or topic you want to hear on the show, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at truecrimepodcast at fox.com. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.